Thank you very much. Well, thank you. Uh, my welcome uh, to you. It's great to share God's Word with you for the last time for three or so months. Uh, I don't know who's more relieved, me or the church, uh, but um, no, but seriously, thank you very much. Uh, I want to thank the elders and the trustees and the church here to allow myself and the other pastors have sabbaticals every seven years. It's a part of our terms and conditions. Uh, in fact, it's eight years since uh, Deb and I had our, uh, our last sabbatical. Uh, and this is what my family looked like um, eight years ago. So here we go. So that, that's, that's so quite a lot can happen in eight years. Um, so Deb looks the same, as you can all tell. And actually, I, I think I'm not looking too bad, okay? Maybe a bit more crinkly and... Uh, or I just look really bad back in uh, uh, 2010. Uh, but maybe the real changes are um, uh, with Sam, who was 10. He was here standing playing the guitar a few moments ago. All right, it's my third son. And Josh here, who was 15, who's getting married in three weeks' time. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, huge, huge change. In fact, let's have a look at the, the, the a picture of Sam's. This is Sam's. 18th birthday meal out, so if we look at the next one, and you'll really see all the change here. So, wow, so Ben and Alice, yeah, here, and then there's Josh and Roxanne, she's South African. All right, you don't need to laugh at that, Rox, you don't you just, <laughs> I was just trying to find out if we had any other South Africans, and we obviously don't. We do, actually, at Lee, Brett got very excited about that, and then look at Sam, He's doing all right as well, isn't he? Hey, eh? he's doing all right. Doing all right. Doing all right. Sam, Sam's doing all right. Anyway. <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay. As her parents are in the congregation, I'm just going to behave now. So we're very good. Okay. So, you know. You can see that actually in my own family, huge change over eight years. In fact, we've gone through that season of raising teenage kids. And it's a joy to have them all involved in the church here. Ben's serving up, uh, 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 upstairs, and so it's just wonderful. But as wonderful as my kids are, I think the thing we should do now, have you done this already with Freya? Have you done it? Yeah. Oh, Freya, I've just got to say, man. <laughs> I mean, honestly, just stand up. Just stand up. Come on, stand up. Is that Colin? I thought I saw you as well. Do stand up. I thought I could tell the hair. Uh, oh, oh, oh my days! Oh my days! I mean, you, you've done this already, but I mean, I'm there. I'm watching the wedding. I pretend I don't want to watch it, but I'm watching it anyway. And I'm thinking, oh my days! Is I mean, Kings is taking over the world. Come on! I was thinking. I, I, actually, I was thinking. I wish I said yes to preaching, uh, but but they've got some American guy over. I thought he did quite well. I, I just just thought. I mean, did you see? Did you see? Did you, <laughs> did, you did you see the royal family? They were like, oh my days! And they were trying to not look like. I was thinking, I thought he would go down well in my church, I thought. 
But look, thanks for leading the worship. Thank you. Round of applause. What a mate. Oh, dear. Now, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, that's why I completely forgot what I was talking about. So I was talking about seasons and changes and how my family has grown up and uh, they're a great joy uh, to us, but also the family that we lead here, this church. We're totally committed to this church. We came, I was 32, now I'm 42, and, uh, you know, I, came, I just... It just came and can't count because we've been doing it for 23 years. We're totally committed to this church. It's amazing to see what God has done in our church over the last eight years. So eight years ago, we would have had around 950, our average Sunday attendance in April 2010. This last April uh, 2018, over 1,600, huge growth uh, uh, surge again in the church. In 2010, June 2010, we bought a new building. The building cost three and a half million to buy over in Lee. Uh, that was a, a massive thing that we did. Uh, uh, just need to keep going. I'm going fast here. And then in March 2011, um, we went multi-site. Uh, so um, we, the, the church at Downham uh, uh, joined us. And uh, uh, just that's the one. Thank you. Okay. We went multi-site. That was a big change for us as a church. We'd been one church on one site, and then suddenly we went multi-site. We had five meetings on a Sunday across three sites. It was a really different way of doing church. Uh, and, uh, of course, we were launching our fourth site in Beckenham in, uh, in October, with Charles leading. Really excited about that as well. Uh, and then the other thing that happened in, in July 2011, our movement of churches called New Frontiers. Uh, the founding father, Terry Virgo, he handed over uh, the movement to the next generation. That was a big change. And I, I think by 2011, if you knew me well, I was not in a good place. I'd had a sabbatical in 2010, but wrote a book and bought a building, which wasn't much of a rest, to be honest. And it caught up with me, which is why this sabbatical, I'm not writing a book and we're not buying a building. Okay? Okay. And um, the way we're doing it, the first six or seven weeks, we're really focused on family, have a wedding, um, and Sam has his A-levels to uh, uh, pass, pass his success in the Tibet household. We hope to get good grades, don't we, Sam? But pass his success, okay? okay. There's, there's more to life than education. You know that, don't you? Okay, there is more to life than study. Uh, Deb, Deb's very good at studying. I wasn't, as you all know. So uh, we've got a good balance there in a household. And then uh, the last six weeks of the sabbatical, we're going to the States. We're empty nesters. <laughs> They're gone. <laughs> we got rid of them. Hallelujah. They keep coming back. The boomerang generation is coming back. But we're going, we're going to California, just me and Deb. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, oh, I've got to remind myself, I haven't left yet. I'm starting to preach like I'm not here and have no responsibility, okay? We're going to run on to about 1.30 today, okay? So I'm going to see if I can get two sermons in. Because you're missing me, I can tell. So, um, uh, and then we're visiting. We're going to visit four churches in the UK. And then we're visiting two multi-site churches. One called Manor Church, is about five to 8,000 on a Sunday with five sites. And then Seacoast, which is a pioneering multi-site church in Charleston, they have 12 sites and between 12 and 15,000 on a Sunday. So I'm just going to go for a few ideas. Yeah, okay. But that's, uh, and learning, of course, uh, and I trust that will uh, serve us. So, 
hey, look, we better get to the Bible. Let's turn to Exodus um, 7. Uh, and, uh, you know, it has been a remarkable season of growth and uh, blessing of God. I hope you feel uh, the same. We're so encouraged uh, about this church. We're pretty committed to it. Um, we'll be back in September. I just want to remind you, 23rd of September is the next time I preach. It's a Vision Sunday. We're going to be uh, looking at Vision 2030. We're going to come to you and say, look, this is, how, this is what we're going for now over the next decade plus. So it'll be a big picture occasion and we'll uh, got some exciting things to share there. So anyway, Exodus 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding and he refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning and, and he goes, as he goes out to the river, confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. And then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now you have not listened And this is what the Lord says, by this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed into blood. And the fish in the Nile will die and the river will stink and the Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and the canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. And blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and stone. And Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts. And the Pharaoh's heart became hard. Pharaoh's heart became hard. And he would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went into his palace. And he did not even take this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. So, last message for three months. It's on 10 plagues. I couldn't believe it when I got the passage. I thought, I'll go out with a feel-good message for the church, but we'll just talk about plagues and bondage. And seriously, I've got a challenging message for you today. I just want to give you a bit of a health warning up front. It's more of a prophet coming to you rather than a teacher today. Uh, uh, Because I want to look at things that um, keep people in bondage, bondage now. I was thinking, gosh... God's people are in bondage and they need Moses to rise up and, and challenge Pharaoh and, and lead them to the promised land. And I want to speak on issues I think uh, that God's people nowadays are in slavery about, which they need help and uh, freedom uh, from. But before we do that, I thought rather than reading a whole passage and going through all the plagues of blood, f- frogs, gnats, flies, livestock, boils, hail, locusts, uh, darkness and firstborn. I'll just show you a clip I found of some kids enacting it. So it just gives you a feel uh, for the whole narrative. So if we could run that video now, that would be great. Thanks. Now it came to pass that the children of Israel cried out to God because the Egyptians had them in bondage. And their cry came up to God, and God remembered his promises to them. Moses was living as a shepherd in the land of Midian. And the Lord appeared to Moses in a burning bush. And the Lord said, Take off your shoes, because this is holy ground. 
I have seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry, so I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people out of Egypt. Moses did not think he could do that. The Lord said, I will be with you, Moses, and show Egypt all of my power. And Moses obeyed what the Lord commanded him and went to Egypt. He said to Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go. But Pharaoh said, No. So the Lord sent plagues on the land of Egypt. Moses lifted up his rod over the water in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and all the water was turned to blood throughout all the land of Egypt. The second plague the Lord sent was frogs. And the frogs came into the Egyptian houses, into their bedrooms, on the people, into their ovens, and into their kneading bowls. So frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. Then Moses took his rod and struck the dust, and it became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Moses returned to Pharaoh, but God hardened his heart, and he would not let God's people go. Then the Lord sent a fourth plague. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh and his servants and all the land of Egypt. Then the Lord sent a very severe pestilence on all the livestock of Egypt so that they died. With the sixth plague, the Lord caused boils to break out on all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go. Then the Lord sent thunder and hail on the land of Egypt, and hail struck all that was in the field, both man and beast, and every herb of the field, and broke every tree of the field. In the eighth plague, the Lord caused locusts to cover the land of Egypt. They ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. So there remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. The ninth plague was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. The Lord told the children of Israel to take a lamb kill it, and put the blood on the doorposts of their houses. For those who obeyed, the Lord would pass over their house, and the tenth plague would not hurt them. Then they were to eat the lamb with unleavened bread. This was the first Passover meal. For those who did not obey, all the firstborn in the land of Egypt died, from the firstborn of Pharaoh the firstborn of his servants. Finally, Pharaoh let God's people go. The children of Israel left Egypt, praising the Lord for his great power. Well, I hope you've found that a bit more fun uh, than... Um than me reading it. Uh, And then there was light. Um, So what I thought I would do with 
this passage, this part of the kind of narrative of Exodus is, is ask this question, what areas do you think God's people are still in slavery? So, you know, if God's people are in slavery, uh, God raises up a leader, Moses challenges Pharaoh, and uh, it made me start to think. And I, I'm going to give you three. Um, and uh, the first one, I'm, I've, I've got a question about. The, the next two I'm really sure about, okay? The first one is more like, let's have some... Could, why don't we talk about this one and see if you agree? And I'm happy for you to disagree. The second two, you might not agree with me, but I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll probably wouldn't give so much ground on that. Is that fair? Okay. So the first one, I think, is... I'm working this one out. I think it's around the issue of identity. I think that ever increasingly, uh, particularly younger generation, are kind of caught up with identity. I call this the selfie generation, okay, where you have to take a picture of yourself and show everyone, okay? And behind that, depending on how many likes you get and how many followers you have, there's some sense of value and self-esteem. Now, there was a day when we didn't do this, okay? It's not wrong in itself, but it is interesting to know that those that regularly do Facebook, if you regularly do Facebook, you are likely to be more depressed than someone like me that doesn't do Facebook. That's the research. So you can feel more connected than ever before, but we've just appointed someone for government to the, for the issue of loneliness. So you can, you can be connected and know what's going on, but what tends to happen on Facebook is you just get happy, smiley, everything's going well with me. And it reflects into your own life, though you want to present yourself as all good, you know that internally everything isn't all good. That we're all fundamentally broken and there are relational tensions and all that stuff going on. And so therefore, it's undermining people's identity and value. And, and the other thing that's happening in our culture is that feelings are trumping character objective truth. So if you feel something, emotions are far more, kind of given far more weight when it comes to making decisions. While at the same time we know that there's an increase in mental health. So if you work in primary schools, I was just hearing from Deb, someone working in a local primary school said there would be a huge increase of mental health issues in young people. And, you know, in kids before they were 11, Huge issues going on with identity, challenges of social anxiety, anxiety, fear. And so you have this strange mix of being more connected, but also more isolated. And it raises big questions for people. To the point to a younger generation now, just forever in connection. WhatsApping. I mean, I love the phone as well. This is precious. Uh, I call it the precious and uh, as you know, you know I call the precious here. I, I love the phone. It's a great invention. I use it a lot. But sometimes you get people, they're just, they're totally online all the time. And they're more connected but less connected. And it's raising big issues. So and people want to be popular. It's like likes are really important because it validates you as a person. So there's something around there. The second one, um, as I said, I think God's people are still into bondage on this one. This is, this is the classic, money. The God of man. It is, in fact, I'm going to address the big three. Treasure, measure, and pleasure. Money, sex, and power. Yeah? I thought I'd go out, you know, just so that you're glad I'm going away for three months, you know, just in the deep end. Um, 
But money is still a God. It's a God because it provides security and identity and value. And we all live in a culture that says value comes by the more you have. Uh, Scott Marks, who preached here a few weeks ago, he uh, is an amazing guy, if you remember him, and he, he runs his crocodile farm. He runs in, in, has a farm of crocs so that he can sell the skins. And when we went to Heathrow to fly to Washington together, he, um, he said, let's go in one of these shops I'd never been in before. Okay, but it was a handbag shop. And uh, behind, there was loads of handbags, and there was one that was in a case. And, we, and he asked, and he got it out, and he came in, and there was a little pink handbag, and all gloves around and things like that. This handbag cost £35,000. Yeah? Yeah? I took a picture, I sent it to Deb. Honest, honest, she was back in seconds. She said, I'll have two. I mean, <laughs> I mean, look, it's even getting into the pastor's house. The more monster. The Gospels put it this way. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so, in fact, when it comes to your spiritual health, one key indicator, it's a real good one, actually, is what you do with your money. Your bank statement doesn't lie. Yeah? It means things like, If you don't tithe, but you have Sky Sports, it means Sky Sports are more important to you than counting the cost of not watching Sky Sports and giving to God. And that's where it lands in decisions you have to make. It's It's why in this church, for over two decades, I've taught this principle, which is give 10, save 10, and live off 80. Give 10... Save 10 and live off 80. Most people live off 105% and manage debt. I mean, that's what our culture does. And that, you know, here's the special offer. Take a different card out with a slow, and then you get interest-free for six months. And I mean, they're tricking you because they know that you, you tend to get into bad habits. And so if, they can, if there's a lost leader, it's not a lost leader. It's presented that way, uh, but... And that's why I, I, I've always encouraged people to give 10, save 10, and live off 80. That is what I've done for um, many years. So there's the God of identity. Am I popular? Am I fame? Uh, and that's the kind of power one. There's the classic money. And as I'm speaking, you're thinking, Ooh, when's he going? Uh, you know, but that will reveal something to you. Whether you like what I'm saying, I'm telling you, it reveals something of where your heart is. Okay? And then lastly, and the, the kind of uh, main point is the issue of, in the issue of sexuality, and particularly pornography. Pornography. I haven't spoken on this subject for directly, maybe as an aside in a message, for nearly five years. I last spoke, in fact, it's the only time in, in 23 years of leading this church I spoke on it for the sermon. It was on the 10th of November 2013. And uh, if you're listening to this and it resonates with you at all, that would be a good message to listen to. Um, 
I want to start up from with providing hope and a way through. Because I think this is a massive issue. It's a massive issue if you're older. And if you're older, uh, you tend to deal with this subject with shame. If you're kind of connected or tempted or look occasionally or addicted. Okay? If you're the younger generation, it's even more concerning. So you've been so desensitized via the internet and your exposure to pornography at school that you're so desensitized that it's like, it's kind of normal. That's what you kind of do. So, you know, yeah, that's shocking. Okay, we know that pastorally, so you know, I'm not, you, this message should shock some of us today, okay, in a nice kind of pastoral, speaking truth and bringing reality into the open kind of way, okay? But uh, I want to give you some resources up front. The first is a Wired for Intimacy, How Pornography Hijacks the Male Brain. This is a brilliant book. Oh, and by the way, you know this, don't you? 30% of all porn is watched by women now in our culture. This isn't just a man issue. It clearly is a man issue. But actually, in, in our culture, it's become so mainstream that it impacts both genders, male and female. But this book is particularly written to understand how pornography hijacks the male brain. Why I liked it, it's written by a Christian, but it's very sort of medical and scientific. It explains what happens to the brain and how the brain is not selective. The brain, you think the brain can make choices, but really it's just like a sponge and it, 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 it kind of soaks up what you, you put in it. And what the scientists say is that if you watch pornography for any length of time, what happens, not only is it highly addictive, but it it creates like a pathway or a track in your mind. And the more you watch it, the bigger the track gets and the slippery the, or more or slippery the slopes are to get into that track. And so what happens, a cue comes and you've got such a big pathway, you just slip into it. You slip into it. Now, marketeers know this all the time because the whole, all the research on things like nudge and cues, they know that if they just show you something, you're more likely to do it. Yeah. Uh, and then if you're addicted to something, then they just see a, a cue and you kind of kind of slip into it. Now, when I read that book, I found it helpful to at least understand what happens in men's brains. And of course, I believe Romans 12, that the Holy Spirit and the Word of God can renew your mind. And so if, if you slip this way, you think, oh man, I hope... Look, by the way, I'm not going to do a hands up at the end of this message, okay? There's not going to be a run to the front, okay? Okay, uh, and, and you know, don't drop a sweet... You know, when I say pornography, he looked down and things like that. Oh, he's obviously got a problem with lust and things like that. We're not, we're not going there today, okay? But I'm hoping you're going to self-reflect that one of the biggest issues with these, these kind of subjects is, is denial. Your first challenge is like it's not as bad as he's painting it, okay? Well, just for a moment, let the holiness of God go, Really? But this is a great book because it, it, it shows you that you can retrain your mind. You can make choices today and tomorrow and the next day. And uh, you can retrain your mind so you become, uh, you can move away from addiction basically. Now you might need to, have to do that. You might need to share with a brother or sister you trust. You might want to set boundaries in place. It's, it's a good time to set boundaries in place and make choices when you're at church. Because you're more tempted to see pornography at the beginning or at the end of the day. Uh, it's, it's less likely you're feeling that temptation right now, now because context is important. But also there's an opportunity in this context to go, yeah, no, I'm going to stop. Or if you've stopped in the past and started again, I'm going to stop again. You can do it. 
Because sometimes the power of these addictions, you kind of think, well, I just kind of, I can't, I can't, it's controlling me. And that's a good sign that you have an addiction, actually. But you can choose, and you might need support and help, but you can have, in Christ, power over this. And I want to give you hope. The other one is captivated for a better um, vision, living a porn-free life. Why am I speaking on this subject before I go away for three months? Well, because research shows by Christianity Today, which is a very well-known American Christian magazine, 57% of pastors say porn is the biggest pastoral issue in the church. Whoa, 57% of pastors say that this is, this is the issue. Uh, now, there are others, and there are other areas where people are in slavery and, and stuff like that. I've alluded to too, but you know, alcohol might be another, but, but this is the presenting issue, and... Um, if you're a parent here, please just uh, listen up for a moment. Um, I've uh, had the joy of three sons, but this would be something I would have talked to them regularly about. Yeah? Because it's very different. It's not like when I was growing up. The internet is a game changer. Randy Olcom puts it this way. Giving a teenage boy unfiltered internet access in his room or his pocket is like... Uh, filling his closet with pornographic uh, magazines and saying, don't look at them. If that seems harsh, you don't understand how many young men have become enslaved to porn in their own homes. And so boundaries are really important, parents. So like, no phones in the room, keep the computers in a public place. Uh, um, Young people will tend to argue for the kind of freedom of keeping their phone with them, particularly late at night because they want to stay in connection with all their friends. They're living in this kind of internet connection all the time and they'll fight for it. Don't, don't give the ground. We're the adults. Yeah, okay? We're the adults, all right? Um, I do it. I, I've always done it. I think it's very important with pornography. Uh, can I just... This is not a conversation to have in the car on the way back. <laughs> oh, had, enjoy the worship today? Yeah, yeah. Oh, actually, while you're in the youth work, are you watching Pornography! You know, that's not the way to handle it. It needs real grace. Kind of needs to finesse it. You need to find a moment. Yeah? And make sure you don't project your stuff on your kids. Sometimes if you're struggling with something, you think, I'm going to keep them. I don't want them to it. And so you come even harsher. Where really, it's your own stuff. So handle it uh, with grace. But, you know, embrace boundaries. Don't, don't, uh, uh, Don't let them win. Okay? Remember, they will do the classic, my friends. It's just a complete lie and cover story, okay? That's what I say. I say, while you're in my house, yeah? These are the house, these are Tibet house rules. You don't understand that. All things like that. I just say, it's, it's your mother, I'm sorry. I'm just, uh, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm just the front man for what's going on here. You know, I like the way, you know, a lot, lot of guys, you know, take responsibility and ownership at the moment. So I'm, I'm just, I am joking about that one. Okay, so this should shock you, these stats. The average age of first exposure to internet pornography is 11 years old. 90% of children aged 8 to 16 have viewed pornography online, most while doing homework. 80% of teens aged 15 to 17 have had multiple exposures to hardcore pornography. 67% of kids admit to clearing their browser history to hide internet news from their parents. The largest consumer of internet pornography are kids aged 12 to 17. 
Now look, you might come from a lovely Christian family and your daughter or son might be a good girl or boy, but they are being exposed to this in the school playground, okay? It's just out there. And, and so there, don't beat them up. Empathize with them. Be grateful that you didn't grow up in the, gen, uh, the generation of the internet for all its good things, okay? Um, why is this massive cultural shift? The internet. Uh, Dr. Al Cooper says accessibility, affordability, and anonymity. Anonymity. I'll get that word right one day. But that's, that's, those are the reasons why it's had such a big shift. Now, how do you respond when you hear this? You hear a challenge about how you handle your money, and you hear a challenge about how you handle your sexuality. How do you respond? I think very often we respond like Pharaoh, if we're honest. Um, let's quickly look at how Pharaoh responded. When the plague of blood came, he said his heart hardened and he wouldn't listen. Uh, when the frogs came, he, when he saw relief, his heart hardened and he wouldn't listen. When gnats came, his heart was hardened and he wouldn't listen. When flies came, now he said, oh, pray for me. Oh, pray for me. So what can happen is that when it comes to, and I've just given you two examples of something maybe you should do and something you shouldn't do in the area of money and pornography, is that can, very quickly is that you can, it's amazing how we can put up our defenses and sort of say, I'm not going to really own what's going on, what I am or what I'm not doing. And then suddenly there becomes a moment, sometimes it's in worship, sometimes it's when you're doing your own personal devotion, sometimes when you're listening to someone preaching, for a moment it's like a glimpse of, yeah, I've been meaning to do something about that for a while. Oh yeah, I've mucked up again, oh, I'll just give up. No, oh no, no, I'm going to go again. And there's a moment and your response is, pray for me. It's good to pray for people, by the way. But it doesn't necessarily mean you've changed your heart. There isn't, if I can say, repentance. There isn't real ownership. It's more like, pray for me. And then with Pharaoh again, with the livestock, it says his heart was unyielding and boils. He would not listen. And then the hail came. And then he said, this time I have sinned. Okay, so that's really owning the problem. This time I have sinned. And I'm going to pray to the Lord. And you think there's a glimpse of change coming. But then no, after hail stopped, hearts hardened. So I think there's a, there's a glimmer of opportunity for all of us in the room today. Because I, I think I know myself, and I know, <laughs> I've done this long enough now, that in three or four, five days' time, this will be, for some of you, thankfully not in the forefront of your mind. So there's a window of opportunity to respond to God today and find freedom. Locusts, I have sinned. Now forgive my sin and pray. But after the locust has gone, heart hardened. And then lastly, get out of my sight, Moses. If I see you again, I'm going to kill you. Which is the other response that some people get. They get when God really, they say, I'm just, I'm just not going to, I'm going to rebel against God. Oh, they're going to they're attack. And of course, there is death coming, but it's not death as how Pharaoh <laughs> predicted. And you see, when it comes to these issues, the big issues of uh, measure, treasure, and pleasure... You see, this isn't just God's word coming in feeling restrictive, which some of you might be feeling at the moment. It's actually liberating. Because if you watch a lot of pornography, or even a little bit, it's not good for you. It's, it's, it's not that God is anti-sex. In fact, he's really for it, which you might know if you come to this church for any length of time, in the context of a covenant, lifelong commitment between a man and a woman. It's called marriage. 
kind of like, get married and get down to it. It's kind of my kind of, sort of just, just, just in the Bible. Hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're looking at this stuff, you're setting yourself up for complete disappointment. It's just unreal, let alone the issues of justice and uh, the, the, the poor people involved and the money involved. Just on issues of justice, Christians should react to it. Um, but it's not good for your relationships. And if you don't handle your money well, you'll get into debt. And one of the things about giving generosity is it kills the more monster and so it actually protects you from debt in a strange way. Can I just say, only give out what you have, though. We don't teach prosperity here, you know that. Only give out what you have. Don't give to get more money back. That's another huge cul-de-sac. Okay, you know that if you come to our church for any length of time. Um, it's more the heart issue that God is, is after. Um, I want to finish with a bit of hope. In this story, Moses represents Jesus to us. And Jesus wants freedom for his people. Let my people go. And so Jesus, represented by Moses, eh, brings a message of hope. You can break out of slavery. You can break out of captivity. You can have freedom. You can have, uh, I'm going to take you and lead you into a promised land. The way to get to freedom is not to harden your heart. It's actually to own and admit that this is an issue for you, either something you do or don't do. That's the way you find real freedom. The Bible word is repentance. Now, I think this reveals something of my heart. I always think repentance, because it, it, it tugs at my pride, is a negative word. It's kind of like, oh, I've got to admit I'm wrong. <laughs> okay? But actually, repentance is a grace-filled word. It's, it means that you can come to God time and time and time and time and time again. Peter, once talking to Jesus, says, how many times must I forgive my brother? And Jesus says, 70 times 7, which is another way of saying uh, again and again and again and again. And so if this is an area or or, or you have a number of areas where you feel in in bondage, you can come to Jesus now and know forgiveness. You can muck up tomorrow and come to him tomorrow and know forgiveness. Okay, It was never dependent on your performance. It was always dependent on Jesus. And sometimes what happens, you get in such bondage, you just think you kind of give in. And the shame that comes with it, then God's covered it in Christ. Hallelujah. Okay? So come again. Come again. Come again today. And so I'm going to turn from it. I'm going to make choices in the light of day so I don't make bad decisions which have consequences in the darkness of night. And if you come to him, he is faithful and true and will forgive your sin. He will take your worst stain and turn it oh, like the white of snow. What a gospel. This is the gospel. What a saviour. What a saviour. So I leave with you. Uh, turn to Jesus. And as you do, you'll find true freedom. Let's pray together. Well, if I could have the band up, please. Lord, we... Uh, We thank you, God, that you want us to be in freedom. And so I pray for any here, when it comes to the issues of identity or money or their sexuality, that they would know true freedom. 
that they would know the power they have in Christ and the power, power of the Holy Spirit to turn from walking one way of all its damage and find freedom. I pray, Lord, for some here that they would bring it out into the open. They'd speak to a trusted brother or sister and say, I need help in this. Lord, that in some ways we'd lift the shame off the subject so we can break the power of it. And uh, Lord, we say as a church, help us to provide ways of helping people to, to find real freedom in these areas. We pray for parents as they reflect on this and they think of their kids and some are shocked and some are, Lord, I pray they don't get into denial. It would never happen in my household. But they would create a, a warm and empathetic environment to talk through and support kids through difficult seasons of life. We pray for the next generation of all the stuff that's thrown at them. We pray that they wouldn't get so desensitized that they just kind of part this. It's just a part of life. But they would know, God, you have a better way. And we pray for the next generation that are exposed to such stuff through the internet. We ask, God, that you would uh, protect them and keep them and that you would uh, uh, continue to guard the steps of this uh, church and the next generation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.